Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start reading from verse 18 all the way through the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 39. So as you're turning to that, once again, we have our notes that's available. Hopefully your leaders have sent that out to you if you're part of a life group. If not, you can go ahead and check our website and we'll have all those things available there. But I wanted to start off as we are continuing in this Roman series with a question. And the question is this, how would you describe the emotion a person would feel if they were chosen by someone or for something? In fact, let's ask it in the other way so that we can kind of understand this a little bit better. What would a person feel, what emotions would they feel if they were not chosen by somebody or for something? Uh, As many of you know, this is not one of the best feelings, especially if you're not the person being chosen. I think some of us can relate in the sense where you are not the chosen child in the home. And that's where a lot of the pain and the different issues that come out of that, because it might have been your sister, it might have been your brother who was more the chosen person in your home. And so a lot of times issues stem off from that. I'm wondering for some of us, it might be simply maybe even just thinking about um, when you were a little kid, when they were playing sports or when they were trying to pick teams, either you weren't chosen or you were one of the last ones chosen. Clearly, it communicates you're not that good or you're not really wanted. And it does something to you, not only in your heart as you get hurt, but even psychologically, you begin to realize that maybe no one wants me. I think for some of us, it might even go as far as to say, like someone else was chosen over you for a promotion. Maybe you were expecting certain things, but then they, they gave that offer or they gave that promotion to somebody else. And many of you know that hurt feeling that comes with that and the bitterness that kind of broods through that. I'm even wondering if some of us know that feeling when you've either had a failed relationship or you are trying to attempt at a relationship and you're trying to approach that person and they flat out rejected you. And so you know that feeling when you are not chosen or you are not wanted. Once again, it does something to your mind and to your heart. I think this is why we have to understand that there is something powerful about being chosen. And as we're continuing in this series, we want to talk about that, how God has chosen us. He predestined us for something that's great. And we got to couch that under understanding his love for us and who we are. This is what's going to change our lives. I wanted to show you this quick video some of you might know World Vision is a humanitarian aid organization. It's also development and also advocacy for different issues. And it was founded in 1950 by a person named Robert Pierce. And he had this vision of trying to reach out to many of these orphans that uh, was a byproduct of the Korean War. And God spoke to him. And so part of the things that they do is they do a lot of sponsorship. So they sponsor children from very impoverished area. And so what they did for many, many years is pretty much you get to choose who you want to sponsor. But recently what they've decided to do is flip it around and allow the children to pick the very person that they want to be sponsored by. And so they did this whole campaign called Hashtag Chosen. 
And in this video, is the, I mean, they have a, a lot of videos on this, but I thought it was interesting of what this person shared. And so I want to show you a little bit of their advertisement of what they decided to do, having the children choose the person that will sponsor them. So let's watch this together. Oh, what a great reminder on what it does to us when we know that we are chosen. Uh, I don't know if you heard what Brianna was saying towards the end where she says that it feels like, as if God is choosing me or choosing us every single day. I'm wondering what your life will be like if you really believe that, that every single morning you wake up before you shower, before you get dressed, before you do anything, as you're just laying there in bed, to really know that God is choosing you today, on that day, and that he has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. But if you're like me and many other people that I've been talking to, there's many times when you're just laying there in bed and you don't want to get out. Uh, especially working from home, it's just easier to be a little bit more lazy. Those of us who are students taking classes at, uh, online, it's just easier not to be motivated. And we're struggling, we're wrestling through with what is my purpose? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And some of us are feeling the crunch and we're feeling this kind of like this blondness, if you will. And you're struggling to really find a greater sense of passion and meaning every single day. And that's why I think as we continue in this simple gospel series, I don't know if you know this, but we're halfway through. It goes all the way to chapter 16, but we're right now going to finish off chapter 8. Or chapter eight. And as we're talking about this, it's important that regardless of what you're struggling with, no matter what you're facing right now and the hardship or the difficulties that you might be facing, that we have to understand that God, through this, is trying to help you to understand more of who He is so that you can understand more of yourself and live out the calling that God has given us. I thought it was interesting that William Barclay says this. He says, to be chosen by God so often means at one and at the same time a crown of joy and a crown of sorrow. The piercing truth is that God does not choose a person for ease and comfort and selfish joy, but for a task that will take all that head and heart and hand can bring to it. God chooses us in order to use us. What a great reminder that God chooses us so that he can use us for a greater purpose. And I pray that you will understand this principle as we talk through this. And let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, is that as we're stressfully in a hard place right now, all of us are struggling through, we must humbly turn to God's grace. And if we can turn our face and our hearts and towards him, towards his grace, we're going to be able to go through what we're facing right now and to reach a higher level in our walk with God, even if it's right after this conference that we had. And so I want to encourage us to really focus in on that, that no matter what stressful place you are in right now, that as we humbly turn ourselves to God and His grace, He's going to help us through. Uh, as we talked about, uh, we really want to focus on how to humbly turn ourselves towards God and His grace so that whatever we're going through, especially during this stressful time, that in this hard place that we're in, that God will give us the grace to move through it. So I want to talk about two specific things as we look into this passage. And so the question is, how do we humbly turn to God's grace? 
And I think the first thing is this, that we can be confident in God's hope, that we can be confident in God's hope. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 18 and listen to what it says in verse 18. Um, especially if you hopefully you've turned to Romans chapter 8 or you could just read along there uh, right on your screen. But it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. I want to just stop here and start off with this verse because this is very important. This verse is connected to what was shared earlier in verse 17. So quickly look back at verse 17 on your Bible there, and you will notice that he says that because we are now heirs of Christ and heirs with Christ, that he says that we ought to share in his suffering if we want to experience the glory. So once again, it's identification with Christ, and because we are now in him, that we also have to understand with it comes suffering and difficulties in life. Let me just say, if there's anyone who tells you that once you become a Christian, that you don't have any struggles or life is going to be really great, just look at them in the face and say, you're lying. Because we live in this sin-filled world that even though that we are believers, we're still affected at times because of sin. And this is the reason why Paul makes it very clear. For you to be heirs with Christ, you have to understand that Christ had to suffer and go through hardships. And that's exactly what we're going to go through. Because if you live your life for Christ, you're going to face opposition. Things are going to be hard. There will be times where you don't want to obey God. There will be times when you want to do your own thing. But here is God reminding us through the Apostle Paul, because we are now heirs with Christ, we also have to share not only in his glory, but in his suffering. Now, I thought it was interesting because if you look at verse 18, you will see the word consider. That word, as we talked about many times before, it means to ponder, to really genuinely think about and to reflect. And he says, consider. And the struggling that they're going through at this time, in the present time, right now, when this was written, what Paul is trying to say is that nothing will be compared to what you will receive in heaven. So he's not trying to make light of their struggles, but he's saying, just consider, think about this. Consider this, ponder upon this, meditate on this, reflect on this. That what you're struggling with, if you will compare it to what is in the future, it, it, will, it will pale in comparison. Because the future is so much more glorious when we die or when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. So this is what he's trying to argue for. Let me give you some couple translations so you can see it better. It says in the Amplified Version, For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the sufferings of the present life, and say this with me, are what? Not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. Here's a message translation to give you a deeper understanding. It says this, that's why I don't think there's what? Any comparison. It, it just doesn't even compare between the present hard times that they were facing and the coming good times that will come when we spend the rest of eternity with Christ. This is the kind of perspective we need when it comes to the future so that we can endure, as believers, we can endure sufferings and struggles that we're facing in our lives. I don't know about you, but this whole week, was it's, it's getting harder now. It's been about, about several weeks now, or almost close to a month, where we have to just be at home, working from home and doing all this stuff. Even some of my meetings now, it's mostly online. And as I was kind of 
thinking about it, I don't know why I was like emotionally spent. And after you do this for a while, it really does drain you. Some of you who are working from home, you got to take breaks in between. Those of you who are studying online, you need to take breaks as well. And so this whole week has been crazy because it started off on Monday. And what happened was my wife, uh, I was telling my wife, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Well, in the morning, she said, you better hurry up and go if you're going to go shopping because a lot of people are panic buying. So I'm like, huh? Why are they panic buying? But I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get some eggs, some basic necessity, eggs, and we need some more milk. And as soon as I got to the grocery store, I'm telling you, it was chaos. I have never seen that grocery store that we visit regularly that crowded on that day, on a Monday. And it was interesting because when I was getting some of the stuff, I went to the main section where I'm going to get the eggs and everything else, and it was completely completely empty. So let me show you some pictures. I decided to take it. I look like a weird person in a grocery store taking pictures, but I just took it. So here's all the bananas that's, that, that's left. You will also notice that this was part of the fruit section and a lot of the fruits were already gone. You will also notice, if you look at the next one, this is the bread section. I wanted to buy some bread and it was completely gone. I, there was not a single bread in sight. And then you will also notice this is where the egg section was. It was completely wiped out. I don't like the brown eggs. I like the white eggs. That's my personal preference. But I was so desperate. I'm willing to get the brown eggs, but I wasn't able to get it. Here's the vegetable section. I mean, we're talking about just little, little green stuff, you know, and that's it. And so they were completely gone. And, and, and I was getting so frustrated. I'm like, what is people's problem? I mean, that was my thought. I'm like, I just need some eggs. But so many people, what they do is they hoard it. So I was really frustrated, and this is kind of like what happened in 2020. If you remember, there was a whole uh, panic buying where they bought all these loads of toilet paper, and I was thinking, are you going to wipe that much? Are you going to use it for that? You know, I'm, I'm just like, come on now. Now, let, let me precursor this. Some of you were the cause of the panic buying. You actually did that. And so you have wall-to-wall toilet paper. You have many, many eggs that you're not going to get... Uh, spoiled. Uh, milk is going to get spoiled in your little, little tiny refrigerator. And so please, I am not judging you. I am not angry at you. Uh, whatever the case that caused you to do this and do the scare, uh, I'll just pray for you, okay? Anyway, so I went and I was so frustrated. And I'm like, I cannot believe this. Like people are freaking out just because there might be a lockdown. And, you know, so I was just kind of frustrated. And I realized that I just didn't have compassion or understanding. So Pastor Bo and I, we meet on Wednesdays for staff meeting. And I was just venting out. I was just sharing all the stuff. I'm like, what's wrong with these people, you know? And, uh, you know, my good accountability partner, he kind of had to uh, speak some truth into my life. And he said, Pastor Seth, like, because I was just saying, why, why don't they trust in God? I go, I'm, I understand if they're not believers, but if Christians are doing this either, then we're putting our hope in just something that maybe we need to have a bigger perspective on this. And I thought he said something that was kind of, kind of rebuked me. He was like, Pastor Seth, but you have to understand that it's really hard to trust the government in light of everything that has happened, especially for the local people. And he was just helping me get some perspective on this. And he was just sharing about how even the government, they're not even clear. They're very general. They're very kind of like, uh, coy about this and they they share things as if it's kind of like a mystery so we have to uh, you know 
uh, cipher this thing, decipher this thing, and we're just trying to figure out what it is. I'm like, okay, that's true. Because then you can't trust the government in some ways. So you have to kind of look out for yourself. And then as I was thinking about that, and then he put the dagger, and he said, but also there are many people who are doing this because they have no other hope because they're not believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. If you don't have any eternal hope, then all you have is here and now. And so the threat of a lockdown, the threat of maybe you not having enough and not believing in a God who will provide for you, like that is something that's real. So I had to kind of like pull back a little bit and repent of my sins, and I realized once again that the importance of having an eternal perspective, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying be irresponsible. Because the worst would be, you're like, ah, there'll be enough eggs or enough milk. And then all of a sudden there's nothing left and you're you're going hungry and you're starving. All right? So I am not saying not to be uh, responsible, but I'm simply saying that some of us, we always react to situations rather than maybe pausing for a little bit and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? And maybe looking at it from the light of eternity and really trying to see God in the midst of everything. And I was just thinking to myself, yeah, if I hoard, like, let's say I bought like four cartons of eggs, just thinking that it's going to be a lockdown, but then there's no more left because it's, it's all gone. And there's a family that's struggling and they don't have anything. And I can't eat all those eggs in my small little refrigerator. And what if I end up throwing away? I realize we're losing perspective on this. And I'm sharing this because so often our hope and our confidence, it's not in God but it's in ourselves. It's in the situation that's around us. And this is where so many of you are going to get tripped up and you're going to stumble in your walk with God. That's why in verse 19 through 25, we see the Apostle Paul drawing some comparisons from the longing and groaning of something that's greater than all that's here here on this earth. What you will notice in this next section is that there is this hope that's so much greater that will help us to overcome some of the struggles that we're facing right now. So listen to me carefully. This is how I'm going to unpackage this. As he simply says that those of us who consider this, anyone who is going to follow Christ, what? You're going to go through suffering. What you're going through right now is part of being united with Christ. And now in the next six-some verses, what he's going to unpackage for us is that there's a reason why when you go through your sufferings, you need a different perspective. And there's a sense of longing and yearning and expectation and even hoping. But the question is, what is this hope placed? Where are you placing your hope? So there are two things that we notice about our, how our hope in glory will grow. How will it grow? How do we grow in this aspect of putting our hope in Jesus Christ and confidence in his hope and not in ourselves. The first thing is this, our hope grows when we are patient. I thought this was interesting as Paul wrote this, is that we grow in our sense of hope and expectation when we learn how to be patient. Let's go ahead and read verse 19 to 25. This is what the word of God says. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here, now we get a better view as he's talking about hope. And he says that we gain this hope when we learn how to be patient. Now, Paul, what he's doing is as he talks about this groaning, he first takes it on the level of all creation. Everything that you see that is created, what he's simply saying is that they're longing for the day of glory. You'll see this phrase, and you have to understand, the day of glory is when Jesus Christ will come back, and he will make all things new. Another thing that was interesting is not, one, not only was he referring to all of creation as longing and groaning that it will be renewed, but he's also referring to believers Christ followers who are longing and groaning in their hearts to be made new. Like the, some of you who have ever been injured, and if your body is getting old and it's harder to move around, there's going to come a time when your bodies will be made new. Somebody like, take me to heaven right now, Jesus, come on. You know, this is the, what he's saying is like, even the believers, we are longing for that day when we will be in the day of glory, when our, we will get new bodies, there will be no more tears. All our struggles with sin will be taken away. That is when we are with Christ eternally. That's why I thought it was interesting here that in this present world, everything will end but everything, and everything will fade away. But he reminds us this longing and groaning in creation as well as for believers it is because of something that we see in the future. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read verse 1 and also verse 4 through 5 alpha. This is what it says in the ESV. I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor or nor crying, nor pain anymore. For, come on, say this with me. The formal things, the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am, come on, making all things new. So one of the things that Paul understood was this tension of the here and not yet. Because when Jesus came, he says, The kingdom of God is here. But we know the fullness of his kingdom will not come until he comes back. So this tension of it's here, but not yet. Uh, we are set free, but not fully, because we still sin. Uh, we are adopted as children of God, and that's here, that's who we are. But sometimes we still struggle in living as if we are heirs and we are in Christ. So that's what he's trying to share, that we're, as we're living this life, as we're struggling, as we are suffering, as we're going through different things in these hard places in our lives. What he's saying is that it should cause you to yearn and hope for something that is eternal. Now, if some of you are too comfortable in this world, that means that you don't have an eternal perspective. That's why when you think about certain circumstances that you faced this past week, 
maybe some of your struggles that you feel like, oh my God, my life is ending right now. When you have an eternal perspective, you just realize this is just a dot of a dot of a dot, small little blip in your whole perspective of eternity. That's when you can learn to let go. That's when you can learn to surrender. Some of you, you only live for the here and now, so that's why you get totally dramatic and you feel like your life is ending. But when you have this kind of hope, this confident hope in God's hope that He gives unto us, you realize that no matter what you're going through in life, even if it's a lockdown, our hope is not in the here and now, but it's in the future. So regardless of what happens to us, we trust and we believe that at the end, when everything's all said and done, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He will wipe away every single tear, take away all those things, and He will make all things new. Can I ask us, do you believe that? Not just in your head, but do you believe that in the way you live your life? I want you to think about this. And a lot of times you cannot look at yourself. You got to ask other people this question. Do I live a life in such a way that it looks like that I'm living for the here and now or that I'm living for eternity? So the things that you invest in, is it just only for the here and now? Only about what? Until you're 70, 80 years old and you, you die? Or are you investing in things that will be lasting for eternity? We're talking about souls. The Word of God. When you think about some of your struggles, do you just see it as your whole life is ending? Or do you see it as this is just a small little part of my life that I know that this is what the future tells me, that I'm going to see Jesus face to face and all the struggles, all the pain, all the physical, emotional, whatever I've gone through, whatever I'm going through, that there's a greater eternity that I'm longing for. That's why I think it's interesting as he talks about the here and not yet that he actually uses the pain of childbirth. Now, I don't know about Paul. I'm like, dude, you weren't even married, number one. And number two, dude, like you're not a woman, so you don't know what it feels like. And maybe he was, uh, I don't know what you call those, the midwives or helping deliver, and he saw all of them screaming and yelling. I have no idea. But I have witnessed three births live. And it is, it is, it's a miracle, it's a beautiful thing, but also it is a nasty thing. Because the, the women, they are in pain. And sometimes you hear these stories of women like giving men their husbands headlocks and swearing at them and stuff like that. I mean, they just go crazy because it's so much, it's so painful. And so I'm like, Paul, why are you using this illustration? That he says it's like childbirth, the, the pangs or the birth pains of childbirth. And listen, he's using it because what he's trying to say is this. When you go through pain, especially during childbirth, you're willing to go through it because you know that there's a greater purpose. A child will be born. That's what he's trying to help us to see. That you're going through struggles and pain right now. But understand that there's a purpose, that God is trying to do something that you, want, you and I, we might not see, but he's doing something. I think that's why Paul begins to talk more specifically about this hope. He states that hope is waiting upon something that you do not have. And when you know for certain that it is going to come, then you will be patient. You're going to be patient. 
Let me give you some verses here. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 to 25, as we read, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, we're given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we, what? It says, look forward to something we don't yet have, we must, what? Wait patiently and confidently. So once again, I want you to think about this. When we don't have it yet, and we don't see it yet, then when you have this eternal perspective, you will patiently wait for it, and you will confidently wait for it. I want you to think about this in your life. Some of you are not patient. I know that there are many times I'm not patient. Because either I want things right away, I want to see results, I want it done my way, and so sometimes I get very impatient. And then I have to pull back and ask myself, why am I so impatient and where am I putting my hope in? Some of you might be thinking this, especially if you don't have a relationship. Some of you who want to get married. Why not me? Why not now? What's going on? And it's so easy to miss the very thing that God is trying to do in your life. Some of you, I don't know how many times you have to go through this cycle over and over again. And you keep on hurting people along the way because of your self-centeredness and you have no patience. And you don't think about your consequences of the, the, the things that you're leaving behind. That's why, what are you hoping in? I could tell if you're not patient and trusting God for this, then you're putting your hope in the here and now, thinking that you can get something or it's going to help you to, in your mind, help you to get more security, get more sense of peace, whatever it may be. So I want you to ask yourself, what are some areas in your life where you have a hard time being patient with? Sometimes it's with people, isn't it? And the reason why we get so impatient is because we want to see something. We want to see results. We want to see them change. We want to see them take steps so that we can find value that what we do and our investment that we're making with people, that it has some results, the ROI. That's why we get impatient. Maybe what God wants to do in your life is to humble you and that you're not that great, that you think that I have leadership material, but you don't. Because obviously you're not discipling anybody. Who was the last person you disciple? So once again, you got to see it from the light of eternity and ask yourself, what is happening in my life? What am I putting my hope in? Because whatever you're not patient with, you're putting your hope in something that's here on this earth. Let me read some of these other translations of verse 24, which I think is important. It says this in the message. It says, that is why waiting does not diminish us. Think about that. Sometimes we feel like, oh, man, I'm so far behind. All my friends, I check my social media. All my friends are doing this and that. I feel clearly it says waiting does not diminish you. This is the word of God. This is how secular your mindset is. Oh, if, you don't, if I don't go on this exchange or if I don't do this that everyone else does, that somehow I'm going to be further behind. That's a, that's a secular right now in the human being, in the present thinking, except for eternity. To give up one whole summer to grow and to serve God and not to do maybe what you want to do, that maybe in the bigger picture of things, you will have greater returns for your spiritual life as well as for other people that you can bless. 
See, once again, our hope is in the things of this world, and we only think about the here and now. It doesn't diminish us, and I love this, and it, it goes on and talks about, like, it doesn't diminish a pregnant mother. And then it says, we are what? Enlarged in the waiting. Get that. You are becoming bigger as you're waiting. It's developing you. Bigger heart, enlarging your heart, enlarging your perspective, enlarging your compassion, enlarging your integrity, enlarging your obedience to God, enlarging your surrender to God. It's not diminishing you. It's enlarging you to be more like Jesus Christ. And then it says, but the longer we wait, it says the larger we what? Become. Huh. Somebody like, I don't want to get any bigger. I'm tired of it. Set me free. But can I just challenge you with this? The larger you become, the greater that God can use you. See, that's the problem with us. Oh, we want God to use us, but only this much. We want God to use us, but can I, can I tell you how you, I want to be used by you, God? Some of you who are in the waiting, God is trying to develop this great sense of longing and hope, not in the things of this world that you think that will satisfy you, fulfill you, but he's trying to help you to learn how to yearn and wait for eternal things. That's why some of these things have not happened in your life. And that's his loving ways in your life by not giving you certain things so that you don't turn away from him. That's how loving he is towards you. And I'm just wondering if possibly when things are out of your control and things, you, don't, you, you can't do anything about it, all you have to do is just simply say, God, I'll wait so that my hope can be deeper into you and not other things of this world. The Living Bible summarizes it really well. It says, we are saved by what? Trusting. And trusting means looking forward to getting something we don't yet have. For a man who already has something doesn't need to hope and trust that he will get it. But if he keeps trusting God for something that hasn't happened yet, it teaches us to wait patiently and confidently. It's all about trust. Do you trust in God or do you trust in yourself? I think the reason why so many of us struggle with patience, and I'm putting myself into this, is because for most of your life, and not all, but majority of us, we've been very spoiled. It starts when you're a kid, when you start crying and your parents don't know how to parent sometimes, and so what they do is they give you everything that you want because you're crying. That's hardwired inside of you. And guess what happens with bad parenting? Do you know what happens? Then you're training your child to be spoiled because every single time they cry, they throw a fit, they can get whatever they want. They're not stupid. And so you train up a child in that manner, then your whole life, if that was you, your whole life, then it's all about you. That's why some of you have narcissistic tendency because everything has been catered to you. That's why some of you long for comfort because that's how you've lived your whole life. And you cannot surrender some of your comfort. You cannot surrender some of the things that you desire for something that's greater because this is how you've been raised. So I'm wondering, and this is once again trying to give you some perspective. 
I'm wondering if some of the things that you're praying for, God is not going to, he's not giving it to you because you're not ready. I want you to seriously take that time to reflect on that. Man, I've been praying for this. I want this. I want that. And God is like, no, not that he doesn't love you. In fact, he loves you too much to give you that and to have your heart turn away from him and become an idol. Some of us have never learned how to persevere because we give up so quickly because things are hard. Life is hard. And if you give up in some of the simple things now, you're not going to build the spiritual muscles you need when you're going to face greater trials in your life. I know many of you are young. Wait until you get married. There's going to be greater trials and difficulties. Somebody that I haven't talked to for like years just kind of mentioned something because they met somebody somewhere that they knew me, so they just kind of reached out. And I didn't even know this person got married. And so I'm like, oh, I didn't even know you got married. Congratulations. And they're like, yeah, uh, God has a way of refining you through marriage. And I'm like, mm, amen and amen. Just wait. That's why in order for you to be a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother, maybe some of the things that he's doing in your life right now is to teach you patience so you can hope in God and the things of eternity rather than the things of this world. How do you know when somebody has genuine hope? Because they're able to wait patiently. The word patience can be translated as steadfast endurance or through endurance or eagerly anticipate through difficult times. That's why the voice translation says this, but if we wait expect, expect, expectantly for things we have never seen, then we hope with what? True perseverance and eager anticipation. The message translation once again says what? The larger we become and the more joyful and expectancy, our expectancy. The Amplified Version, I like this. It says what? It that if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it with patience and that key word, composure. You're not freaking out. You're not a drama queen. You're not a drama king. Composure. Because you serve a great God. Are you growing in patience? Are you deepening your hope in Christ? Another thing that we see here as he talks about as we're talking about being confident in God's hope, not only do we see here that our hope grows when we are patient, but we got to grow in this hope as we're praying. That's the second thing that you will notice. Let's finish off with verse 26 and 27. It says here, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans, groanings too deep for words. And he who searches... Hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Apostle Paul understood that part of waiting patiently is not easy. He knows that. Especially when you're going through suffering and difficulties and hardships, you're waiting and you're like, God, when? When are you going to answer? When are you going to meet me? 
And that's why he mentions in verse 26, he mentions the Spirit, this Holy Spirit, will help us in our weakness. That means that we are never alone. We're not alone to our own resources, to our own intellect. We're not left alone in the midst of our suffering. The Spirit of God is there with us. And we talked about that, the life of the Spirit, earlier in verses 1 through 17. And I want you to see in the original translation, the word weakness can also include physical, emotional, and spiritual disability. Let me just pause here. I I was in a global conference with uh, some of these uh, leaders from all the different regions. And I was one of the representatives from Asia, and we were together, and we were just talking. And one of the big issues, because it deals with the next generation, and we were talking about no, no more millennials, so, you know, you, your time is done. They were talking about uh, Gen Z, but even Gen Z is slowly passing. They're talking about Gen Alpha. I'm like, Gen Alpha, oh, my Lord. Like, they're getting younger and younger. So they were talking about Gen Alpha and Gen Z. And as I was listening, it was, it was heartbreaking because some of these people have done statistics and they've done research and surveys and spent uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this stuff. And they provided all this information. And one of the things that they're finding out is not only because of the COVID situation, which is a huge part of it, but because of the social media generation, that there are more people who are struggling with mental health, like depression, and isolation and feeling worthless and comparing with other people. And a lot of it is because of the social media and it got worse ever since the whole COVID situation. As I'm listening to some of these statistics, I realize that is a weakness. Now, please, let me explain. Not a weakness and say, oh, you're bad. But that is something that you cannot overcome on your own power and your own strength. This is why Paul is saying as you're suffering, as you're going through some things, that in your weakness, the Holy Spirit will help you. When was the last time some of you actually really prayed for whatever it is that you're struggling with? It it might be with your mental health. It might be other things like physical because that word weakness is used in the scriptures in, the, in physical, emotional, even spiritual disability. Some of you want to grow, but it seems like you're constantly stuck. When was the last time you actually prayed and fasted even, or even asked other people to lay their hands on you and pray for you? See, once again, we rely upon ourselves. We trust in ourselves. We, 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 we forget that God is trying to enlarge us and to grow us in these things so we could turn to him, but we don't. So what is he trying to say? He's saying the word help, it conveys this idea of helping another carry this heavy load. So as you're carrying this heavy load through suffering, trials, difficulties, the Holy Spirit is going to help you carry it. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will help you in your weakness. And in one specific area that Paul uses, when you start feeling weak and you don't know what to do, what does he say? He says to pray. Not only what to pray for, but how to pray for it. Because there are going to be times where you don't know what to pray for. You don't even know how to pray for it. And that's why he talks about that there is this interceding of, which is talking about approaching and appealing to somebody. So you are interceding. The Holy Spirit is going to be representing you before God. 
my daughter, my son, he is weak. Almost to some sense disabled that they cannot go beyond what they're at at this point. And they feel as if they're getting crushed under this weight. That's why even the spirit, when it, the words are not expressed, the father knows what the spirit is thinking. So he will answer us. So even if we're just groaning and just sometimes just kind of like, you know, when you're like, ah, when you let out that kind of frustration or whatever you're feeling, the Holy Spirit understands and God knows what you're going through. I don't know about you, but that's a really great encouragement for me. Can I ask us, how's your prayer life? Are you praying with your own strength or are you dependent on the Spirit of God? I'm wondering, are you only praying when things get really, really hard or is that part of your life? The rhythm of being in His presence, talking with Him, communing with Him. I'm wondering if some of us give up so easily. That's why we haven't grown in patience. That's why we haven't had this hope that can transform us. You always trust in yourself. I think some of us need to repent and get our hearts right with God again and open it up so say, God, do what you want to do in my life. Let's finish off with the second point and then we'll have some time of response. We've been talking about how when we're in stressfully in a hard place that we have to humbly turn to God's grace. And as we talked about that, we talked about how important it is to have confidence in God's hope, not in the hope of this world, not in other things, but we have to be confident in God's hope. The second point as I close out here is that we can be now convinced of God's love. If we want to turn to God in His grace, then we have to be convinced of God's love. Now, I thought it was interesting that here's Paul. He talks about how the Spirit plays a role in our prayers. Then now he mentions a couple things that we have to be convinced of when it comes to God's love. That's the only way we're going to continue in this hope. The first thing that he mentions is that you got to focus on God's faithfulness towards his promise or towards his purpose, that we have to be convinced of the God's faithfulness towards his purpose. Let me read verse 28 through 30, a famous portion of scripture that many of you know. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What you see here is Apostle Paul making it very clear that the ultimate good of all these hardships that they were going through, and he's speaking to us too, as we're in the midst of these stressful, hard places in our lives, what he's simply saying is that it is going to help conform us to be made more into the image of Jesus Christ. Every struggle, every hardship, everything you're wrestling with, even with sin, all these things are going to help you and I to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Even though some of these things that we face are bad and difficult, but we have to believe that God is going to redeem all things for our good and for His glory. This idea and this phrase of all things work together in verse 28 that we've read, it's important to see that it emphasizes that it is a continuing activity of God. 
So it's not like once he does it and then it's done. God is constantly working in your life. This is the reason why you feel as if it's like as soon as you get a breather, there's something else that comes. Now, once again, you can look at this and say, God, why are you allowing all this to happen? Or you can look at it as, oh, maybe God is trying to enlarge me and he's trying to prepare me for something great. I'm a firm believer. You can always look at a person's life and see the pattern. So if they struggled with this whole COVID situation right now, I would say go a little bit further back and say, how did they respond during the protest? You will have a great insight into your life or that person's life. When we went through the whole protest situation, some of you were scared. And now that carries over to now that you're scared with this whole COVID situation. So once again, you're driven by fear in the things that you do. I could spot that out in my life. You could probably spot that out in other people's life. In the same way, if you were not only scared, but you wanted control of certain situations, then now you're in a situation where you're not in control. So what do you think you're going to do? You're going to try to control situations. So once again, what you see is that God is constantly in this activity of working in your life. Some of you get into relationships, and guess what? It didn't work out because you were self-centered. You were trying to do things on your own, and because it didn't work out, guess what happened? You didn't learn that lesson, so you're in a new situation, and you start connecting the dots. You realize this person is not learning. This person is not growing through these situations. That doesn't mean we're against relationships, but you got to wake up and realize that as you're moving forward, you're not learning from the previous things. You could justify, you can explain, you could do all these things, but it's not going to get us anywhere unless you can humble yourself and really repent of those things. Some of us, once again, we are self-sufficient. So what happens? Look at that person's life in some of these other areas when they get stressed out, when they get all like uh, angry or all these different issues of impatience because they're self-sufficient. You see that in this portion of their life, it's going to be evident in this another portion of their life. So here is Paul, what he's simply saying is that God is working all things together. It's a continual activity of him working on you. And what is that end goal? For you to become more like Jesus Christ. That's why he constantly, God is constantly working and he's always faithful to his purpose. Listen to some of these other translations. Let me skip over one. Uh, let me just do the voice. It says this, we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something that is good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. I want you to focus on those highlighted words. He's orchestrating. Do you know what an orchestra and what they do? It has to work in tandem. It has to work together. It has to be in sync for the music to sound good. They all have to be in tune. And so God is orchestrating everything. So everything you're experiencing, everything you're going through, even in this COVID situation, that's part of the orchestration that God is doing in your life to expose your people-pleasing side, to expose some of your fears, to expose your lack of trust, to expose your self-sufficiency. He's orchestrating these things so that you can wake up. And why is he doing this? Because he's doing something good and beautiful. And this is the key. It says he is wanting you to accept his invitation. He will never force you. You just don't know how to wake up and understand what he's doing. He's inviting you 
to a deeper relationship. He's inviting you to experience the greatness of who he is and all the goodness that will overflow. But if you do not take this invitation because of your stubbornness, because of your self-centeredness, because of what you want to do, your own desire, then he is not going to force you. You're going to miss that opportunity. And there are so many of you who are constantly missing opportunities for growth. When I look at some of your lives, I'm wondering what your life would have been if that freshman year or sophomore year, you would have obeyed God. Your life will be totally different now as a senior. Your trajectory in life would have been different. As I'm now ministering with some of the single adults and some of you single adults who have been in our church as an undergrad. And if I know you pretty well, all I'm saying is there were some issues that were not addressed or if they were addressed, you didn't want to address them when you were in undergrad. But now you are dealing with this stuff now as a single adult. It's so obvious. And I'm thinking to myself, where would your life be if you were able to address it when you were an undergrad? You will be at a different place. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally. So he is inviting you. He's inviting me. I'm working on you. I'm working all together for the good. So that I will be glorified. Some of you got to stop. I'm, I'm speaking prophetically to some of you. Some of you got to stop resisting. Because that is the thing that has to be broken in your life for you to be able to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And look at your life and see how blessing, how blessed you will be and how much of a blessing you will be to other people. You can say all you want. Oh, I want to grow. I want to do this. I want to try to serve God. But your life is not backing it up the way you live your life. That's why in the Living Bible it says this, and we know that, it, that all that happens to us is working for our good. If we love God, and here's the key phrase, fitting into whose plans? Come on now. His plans. The way we operate is, God, here's my plan. Do it. No wonder some of you are frustrated. No wonder some of you are struggling. Some people are like, you know what, God, if you're not going to do this for me, then I'm just going to be on my own. When was the last time you fit in what you're doing into God's plan? And it might be completely different from what you would be doing. So here you are struggling and going through the same things over and over that has been addressed or hasn't been addressed when you were younger. You're going through it again. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. But God, in his patient and loving way, he's working all together things for the good and for his glory. So he's constantly in this activity. He neither sleeps nor slumbers, and he is working on you so that you can then have an enlarged heart, enlarged vision to see, God, it is not about me. I want to do what you you have called me to do. Some of you have great dreams. You have woo woo. You have all that kind of stuff you want to do. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to challenge you. Whatever you wrote down, is it fitting into God's plan or is it God, here's what I want to do for you, so do it. 
So not only is God faithful towards his promises, but I want you to see God's favor towards his people. Verse 31 through 39, it says this. I'm going to read this quickly. It says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, it, uh, who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tri- tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What he's simply saying is he's asking seven questions. I'm not going to go through all of them. I want you to notice that he first starts off with this first question and to bring up the topic. What shall we say then? In everything that he has been covering all throughout the first seven chapters, and even a couple weeks ago as we talked about this life in the Spirit that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, what shall we say then? Because some of these people are like, oh man, life is hard, and I'm trying to pray, and nothing's happening. And what he's trying to do is help them to focus on the right things. And so what he says is simply, Every single subsequent question after he's asked, what shall we say then? Every question you will notice, the rest of the six questions, the answer is always done or answered with Jesus Christ. In verse 31, Paul asks, as he asks that question, he begins to now go into more further into where is your hope, what we just already talked about. And here are a couple things. If I could put all these questions together into one lump and I were, I were to separate it, these are the two things that he wants you to know. First of all is this, God will never fail us. Come on, everyone say this, God will never fail us. Let's say it again, okay? God will never fail us. You will notice in verse 31b, Paul asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? We know clearly who's against us. Come on now. It is Satan and all his demonic forces. So when Paul was asking, if God is for us, who could be against us? He is inherently understanding that the person and the things that are against us is the demonic forces and Satan. As Satan tries to stop us, we have to remember the answer to Paul's other questions in verse 32 to 34. How will God not graciously give us all things if we do not, he did not spare his own son? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? All these questions are answered in Jesus Christ. Because Satan is accusing. He is condemning. He's bringing all these charges and accusations against you. Oh, look what you did. So that's why Paul is saying the answer is in Christ. He will not fail us. That's why the second thing is this. Not only will God not fail us, but he will not forget about us. He will not forget about us. The last question is found in verse 35, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The message translation translates a little bit better. You know, famine, and you're like, huh, I don't even know what a famine is. 
Listen to what it says. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. This is what the Spirit of God is saying. He will not forget you. He is for you. And this is the reason why he quotes Psalm 44, verse 22, to say that there is going to be affliction, and some of you might have to die for your faith. But he says, once again, our hope is in eternity. And then in verse 37, listen to what Paul writes. He says, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. No matter what you're going through, it should not phase you because you understand that Christ loves you. This is why I'm trying to share when you get scared because of COVID, you start worrying about all the future things about your life and how this is not working out, this is not going. If you understand the love of God, not just intellectually, but in your heart, experience it through knowledge and through that experience, and you begin to exemplify it, then you're going to be able to promote it to others. Why? Because you got to experience Jesus' love for you. It's that simple. That's why the people who have the most faith, the people who have the most trust, I will say this to you, I've noticed as I've interacted with people, they've genuinely experienced the love of God. Not just in head knowledge and Sunday school knowledge, but they experience the love of God. That's why they can trust. That's why they don't have fear. That's why they're courageous. That's why they're confident. Because they know the love of God. In the New Living Translation of verse 37, it says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who what? Loved us. That phrase, we are more than conquerors, is translated as keep on being conquerors to a greater degree. Which means that you can't be like, yeah, I'm a conqueror. Because there's going to be greater trials. So I'm going to have to be a greater conqueror because God has given me the power through prayer. So if some of you are finding victory in your life, get ready because you got to keep on growing and being a conqueror for Christ because you're going to understand more of his love for you. It enables us to triumph. And that's why in verse 38 it says, For I am sure, it's translated as I am persuaded. I am thoroughly persuaded. Right now some of you have not been persuaded about God's love. How do I know? Look at your life. Look at the way you live. You are more scared of people, your parents, other people's opinion of you than what God thinks of you. That should be clear that you don't really know the love of God. Some of you, it's all about your own success. If you experience the love of God, you're not going to make it about yourself. You're going to make it about Jesus. Because it's that good that you want others to experience as well. That's why the one thing, once again, is that if, as we're stressfully in a hard place, that we have to now humbly turn towards God's grace and say, God, we cannot do this on our own. We need you. I think one of the greatest part of this passage that we just read are those questions that Paul was asking us. 
It's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us that allows us to experience the things that we just talked about. And I realize that some of you have gone to church all your life, but you have never made a radical and a faith-filled step of faith to say, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Just by you going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just by going to a life group doesn't make you a Christian. You might have a lot of head knowledge, but you have no trust in this God. You trust in yourself. You're the God. And maybe some of you are at a point right now where you're going through some hard times. And what you need during these times is to understand the depth of His love, the breadth of His love, the heights of His love. To be able to fully trust. And I believe you can do that today. As you resign and say, I'm, I'm tired of trying to run my own life. I need you, Lord Jesus. And you pray that prayer of faith. To not only receive him, but to enter and take that invitation. To go in and be a part of his kingdom. I'm going to encourage us to do a couple things, uh, several things this coming week. <clears throat> and then we'll talk more about it. Um, during life group. But first of all, will you be committed to a daily prayer routine? The Holy Spirit will help you in your weakness. But you, you got to be committed to a prayer routine. We're in Lent. I think this is a great time to grow in your prayer life. Have a set time. Maybe if you need some accountability, find somebody, your accountability, and say, hey, at this time, let's both pray. Even if it's 10 minutes, let's just pray. That will keep you accountable. The second thing is this. Be consumed with visions of eternity. Always think about what's going to happen after I die. With what I'm building up, what I'm trying to invest in, is it going to last after you pass away? Some of you are going to be leaving college and what is your legacy? Some people don't even know who you are because you are so consumed with all your clubs and societies and all your stuff that you do. You haven't impacted people's lives. You built up your resume, you built up your CV, but you haven't impacted people's lives. So if you were to die tonight, all the stuff that you're pursuing after, it's going to amount to nothing. But those things that you invest is about people, about souls. That's for eternity. So maybe what you have to do is ask on a regular basis, am I living for eternity? Am I consumed? that are things that are eternal. The third thing is this, be content with the waiting. Some of you have a really hard time, and I know that I have a hard time with waiting, being patient. But maybe this is the season that God is trying to teach you to be content in waiting because it's building perseverance. It's building hope, a deeper hope. It's enlarging you. You will even begin to enlarge your vision and the things that you want to do for God. Learn how to wait. Fourth and last thing is this. Be confident with God's love for you. Be confident with God's love for you. We're just going to close out here. I was going to show you a video, but it's okay. I'll save it for another time. Uh, as time has gone by, we want to close out here. 
And I just want to be able to kind of direct us in this time of response. And so wherever you are, I, I don't know if you're sitting down or whatever, but once again, if you've been sitting for a while, just stand right where you are. And as you're standing before the presence of God, I want you to take one of your hands and place it over your heart, wherever you think your heart is. Just put it over your heart. The Bible says to guard our hearts because it is the wellspring of life. The Bible also says it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, but what comes out. Because out of the heart comes all the junk. And so what I'm going to ask us to do for the next 40 some seconds or a minute, I want you to lift up a prayer of faith. I want you to ask God to change your heart. Only God can do that. No leader, no pastor, no one can do that. Only God can do it. And I want you to ask God to change your heart. Whether you are waiting and you're tired of waiting, maybe some of you are struggling with different sin issues, whatever it may be, I want you to pray for your heart. And as you're praying for your heart, whether it leads to repentance or maybe just receiving God's love, Lord, help it to go deeper. Help me to understand how great and awesome your love is for me. So if you're in a Zoom, I want to just encourage us just to kind of unmute yourself. Let's together in one voice as a church together to say, God, change this heart of mine. And God, help, help me to live my life for you. Think about eternity. Be content with where I am. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.